are well. Welcome back to the High People Podcast. Thank you so much for, for checking it out again. And we are into episode five already, which is pretty fun and pretty awesome if you think about it. So I'm, I'm really excited. So thank you for all who have been checking it out. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Jump on the socials, give us a like. Uh, but yeah, I want to hear from you as well. Is there anybody that you would love to get on the show? Yeah, let me know. Do you want to come on and have a chat? Yeah, that would be pretty cool too. But hey, this week is a good friend of mine. His name is Andrew Thomas, who is a sport fanatic, great stories, and you know, we get into some really deep topics in this chat, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you and, and his reflections of his life. It's a really, really good listen, so enjoy. So without further ado, this is the story of Andrew Thomas. Well, our next guest is Andrew Thomas. He is a really good friend of mine. I've known him for since about 2008 now, uh, if we if we really think about it. He's an absolute sport tragic, great bloke to have a beer with, with some really, really good stories, and we have just kicked it off, and um, yeah, I'm so glad to call him a mate, and I'm really keen to you know, explore some of his life and some of his stories. So, mate, welcome to the High People Podcast. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to this. Thanks, Clyde. Thanks for the pump up too, mate. It's a that's a nice little intro from you. Appreciate it. No dramas. Well, I, it's mate. It's all true. Like I said, these are the stories that we want to hear, and I want to talk to people that you know are super interesting, as well as you know my, my good mates. And uh, when I, I approached this idea, you were one of the first ones to reach out and be like, "Mate, this is this is awesome." So I said, "Well, how about you come on, mate? You know, you got some stories, and there's a couple of things I know I'm going to get to at the end and and throughout that." Um, I want to hear as well. So yeah, really, really excited to, to see where this goes. Absolutely, mate. And 2008, that's very interesting. I, I, I can barely remember what happened in my everyday life in 2008. So I'm glad you remember our first encounter because you don't <laughs> refresh me on that. But anyway. Well, it's go. funny though. With, with Mark Diamond's episode in episode two, that's where we remembered because I was like, oh yeah, wow. That was kind of where we all, because you guys were at a separate high school. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and that's sure. that's where where it all came out. But mate, let let's jump straight into it. So, you know, every story has to start somewhere. So, where was Andrew Thomas born? Well, if we want to get exact, I was born at uh, Hills Private Hospital in uh, Borkham Hills. So that's where it all started, and I guess it sort of like it's continued on from. So, uh, yeah, Hills Hospital, mate. That's where I was born, and I grew up in. In the uh, suburb of Castle Hill, most famous for, I guess, Fred Catterson Reserve and uh, Moon Pies and Misfits <laughs> and what was that other store? Seven Shadows. It was Seven Shadows, Seven Shadows. and then Moon Pies and Misfits. Yeah. So I was a bit of a Towers tragic back in the day, but um, yeah, Hills boy born and bred. Perfect. And did you go and so public school and everything, did you go to high school? Did you go to the same public school in high school or did you go to public school then move over to high school? Yeah, so I went to went to Sammy G, Samuel Gilbert on Gilbert Road. Um, yeah, had a good time there. I was a bit of a bit of a bookworm actually in primary school. I actually did okay, and then I think it all sort of went a little bit downhill when I got to got to high school. But um, you know, I went to I went to a I went to a great high school actually, and I think one of the best parts of my life. And it's one thing that everyone around me that I guess wasn't involved directly in my in my group of friends from school always say how impressive it is that we all managed to stay together from year seven. So I went to a school called uh, Northam Grammar. For those of you playing at home, it's in a suburb called Fiddletown, which I'm sure you uh, only know as being uh, 
where Clayton Waters came along and uh, bashed us for 100 off about three overs in cricket in year 12. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it was a great school, about 400 people. And, um, yeah, really good, intimate relationships with friends. And they've, they've stuck through. So, yeah. I think it's, it's one awesome thing, and I'm going to get back to that cricket story because we did not plan that, and that is awesome because I'm going to definitely talk about that. Cause that was I think a, they a, named the Oval my... after you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that yeah. poor leg spinner. I think I hit him for three sixes in a row, and I think I, um, you know, in my real humbled natured approach, I think I told him every single ball that he was terrible and I was so much better than him. So, yeah, I was, I'm glad <laughs> I've grown up uh, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. That was good stuff. Isn't that funny though? If you think about that, that was two thousand and you know seven or two thousand six, depending. Yeah. So that yeah. means that I've yeah, I've played you and and Dymo at cricket yeah. before even becoming friends, and now two thousand twenty one, we're sitting on a, on a podcast. So that, that's really cool when you think about that. Absolutely. I don't remember your face, but I remember your voice. I don't like. I just remember the constant, <laughs> the constant sound coming out of your mouth when you were pumping us that day. And I think oh, I don't want to. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know him anymore, and I don't think he'd mind. But his name was Lewis Don, the guy that you were that you were tapping around the park. And um, anyway, nice guy, really, really nice guy. But I think it was actually his first cricket match. And I don't. Oh, I think geez. he was a fill-in, and and now now that I say that, it actually it's interesting you say that. And we were trying to work out what year it is. If it was it was Lewis Don, therefore it was two thousand and six because he was in the grade above us. So yeah, so two thousand and six. There you go. There you go. So I've just bullied a kid and he's for his first game of cricket. Awesome. How good am I? That's that's really good. I've thrown myself under the bus on my own podcast. That that is awesome. <laughs> Well done, mate. Well uh, done. One of the um, episode two had our good friend Mark Diamond, um, oh, on, yeah. which was awesome, and it was really really fun to hear his story. Yeah, you, you played a part in episode two because he shared yep. a story about how he nearly missed his HSC music exam. Do you, Do you remember that? And what What was that story from your side of things? Well, look, it's it's look. Let's be honest. It's a, it's a tale of love. It's a tale of his first love being uh, a lovely girl uh, who was a good friend of ours at school. Her name's Sophie. And, um, and she, oh, look, you know, she didn't have it in a, ba- like in a bad way wrapped around the finger, but she, he, he followed her everywhere. And I think one day we, on that first day of HSC, you know, we're all caught up in high school romance. And he, he just jumped in his, uh, jumped in his uh, 2002 uh, XR6 and drove back to Cherrybrook with, um, with Soph. And uh, uh, yeah, it, you know, I didn't really pay attention. Like you're not keeping tabs on your mates. And then I guess that was the first day of HSC, right? And I always knew this pending, okay, first day of HSC, we've got English in the morning, music in the afternoon, right? And the music exam is not one. I don't know if you did music. You didn't do music, did you? No, did I don't you? have yeah. a musical bone in my body. <laughs> yeah, I would fail go. that miserably. Actually, they probably wouldn't even let me do it. I was that bad. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about the interesting thing about the music exam, this particular one, it was a it was a list. They called it oral, like A U R A L, oral exam, and you had to listen to a song, and then there was the five elements of music, and you had to analyze this particular song that was playing on this CD by the person, um, you know, running the exam. And you had to analyze that piece of music, write a, you know, whatever it was, a page or two on it. And so if you were late to the exam, 
you missed that recording. Like they're not going to go back and play that first piece of music. So either way, he was stuffed, right? So even even if even if I hadn't ended up ringing him, so I've got to, I've got ahead of myself. But I thought I thought I'd explain the context of the importance of of the music exam and being there at the start before we jump into that extra sort of part where he managed to jump in the car and get love swept back to Cherrybrook. But got to the point where whenever he was with Sophie, he would never answer his mobile. So I reckon I called his mobile 10 times at least. And I think when you've got to call the old, uh, <laughs> you got to call the old friend's home phone number and speak to his mum. I think that's when you're, uh, you, you, you know, you've got to start thinking about getting your priorities straight. And then, yes, yeah, so that's what I did. Called and told her, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's not here. Do you know where he is? And she's like, oh, I think he's with Sophie. And, I think she must have called Sophie's mum, and then before I knew it, I reckon he broke the law, a law or two that day on the road. But he was he was back at school pretty quickly, and only managed to miss that finish, miss that first um, that uh, that first question. So hats off to him, really. He uh, he may have suggested in his episode that um, a couple of land speed records were broken um, in the in the back of Fiddletown as he, as oh, he mate, got there. Like I tell you um, what, I, I it, he he was he was a pretty he's a pretty good driver, but I tell you, I would not have trusted a. 17 year old mark diamond with a ford falcon i tell you <laughs> no way no yeah. way that is that's such a good story and i he reminded me of it when we did his episode because i know we've spoken about that yeah, um, nice. a few times so yeah. so you, you go you go through high school um you've done your thing you've, you've still got your solid group of mates and i know it's something that i've spoken about with other people as well that i'm really really thankful for that i've got some friends that i've made in uh, you know, 2000 in our first year that you know we st- still call really good friends and that we've even spoken to recently, which mm-hmm. is so good. I suppose for me, the next question I have is, you know, what's been, what was the big highlight for you for high school? Was it that friendship base or was it, was it something extra? You know, what, what was that big thing for you that you look back on and go, yeah, high school was pretty good or was it not good? High school was great. I think, um, you know, it, it was. I look back on it with a lot of fond memories. You know, I had a lot of great teachers and I think what I learned from that school really helped me with, with relationships in general. And obviously, I, my, you know, my group of friends is, is proof to that. And, you know, the relationships that I've got with just other people in our grade, we were a pretty small school. So everyone sort of knows each other and knows a little bit about everyone. So that was one great part. But, you know, I think it really allowed me to grow into the independent person that I am. I was a pretty shy kid, I suppose. And North Home gave me, I guess, they, they pumped you up in every class because, you know, the focus was on all of us all the time because it was, there wasn't many of us in each room. So I think that's it. And then that confidence led to me getting pretty deep into music, which was awesome. And, you know, they had a fantastic music program there run by um, a guy named Steve Wells. And unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but he really, really built that music department into the biggest part of the school. And, you know, we went overseas and we, you know, played at the Chatswood Jazz Festival and won all kinds of awards in the Senior Jazz Ensemble. And it really sort of helped me be confident. Like, I'm not necessarily speaking or anything in public, but, you know, being able to perform on stage gave me the confidence that I've got today to just be open and honest and happy and willing to meet people and and know it's a different kind of you know performance but it really yeah I, I, I really stand by it was the best thing that I ever did was you know joining that music program at that school 
I love the parallels, man. Like that's so good. And I, you know, I've heard um, in previous episodes, and we'll, we'll hear, you know, he would have heard from from Pat's episode as well that the love that he has for music and you know the the, the excitement and and Dymo's episode as well is you know he he goes on this tangent about the beautiful music and how mm. he created it and the opportunities that he got to go overseas as well. I suppose we need to tell the audience, mate. What was your what was your instrument? What were you playing? Oh mate, and I'm still playing. I've actually gotten a lot back into it since this lockdown. I'm, you know, I'm I'm a guitarist, and I actually taught our our dear friend Mark Diamond the basics of guitar, and then I think he picked it up and ran with it a lot faster than I ever did, because I always sort of just did it as a bit of a hobby. But he'll probably never admit that. But I definitely I definitely taught him the basics of how to hold a guitar, you know, how to tune a guitar, basic reading, things like that. So um, yeah, I love it. It's a nice escape from everything, which is really fun. Yeah. Well, let's just hope Dymo uh, takes off in his music career because then you can mm. just stand there, mate, when you're watching him being like, I taught that bloke how, yeah. how to play guitar. That's right. That's, That's awesome. right. It's interesting too. And now that we're talking about music, I um, I don't know if you know, did you know that I was in a band in school? Did I ever tell you that? No, but I, what was the band name <laughs> and what were you playing? That is awesome. I, no, I did yeah, not know was, this. I love this. Yeah, right. So I, I we, we were called... We were called Turtlehead, right? And you know, yep. I think you know the old Austin Powers. I've got a turtle head poking out. That's that's where we, that's I think where it came from. Someone in the band um, decided to come up with that, and it was with a guy in our grade at school named Rob who played drums, and uh, a friend of ours, Evan, who I don't know if you've met at any point, but um, yeah, not not really in touch with him anymore. But you know, it, it was it was good. Um, it was good fun. We we really had. Yeah, we played, what did we do? We did Silverchair covers. We did Audio Slave covers. Um, we had a couple of originals. I cannot remember their names, but they were pretty ordinary. Um, <laughs> but back to what we were talking about before in terms of the whole growing up in Castle Hill thing. What was massive, and you know, you're a, you're a big participant in this, was the, the emo sort of screamo music scene that was going on in the hills, right? And being a band that was playing, you know, grunge covers and, um, you know, just throwing down power chords that didn't necessarily have guys screaming behind it, we had to suck up to the emos to get gigs. And I remember, like, actually going to that point outside on whatever street it is, that, that where they all used to, where the emo kids used to hang out, out the front of yeah. towers there. I actually went there one day to meet this kid from this band who I'll, I won't say, I won't, I won't mention their name, but they were very famous in the Hills in the mid two thousands. And I actually remember begging him for a gig because that was the, only, unless you were friends with the kids doing Screamo, you weren't going to get a show in the Hills. And we actually yeah. ended up getting a show at Hype in the old Castle Hill library. Because really? Of yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so there you go. I don't Good think enough. we really went over too well. I think we got put on at about 4.30 PM and then, yeah, it was it was sort of four songs and we were off, but you know, it was good fun. Got paid in, Man. I think, a bottle of Smirnoff, which was nice. Mm. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome, man. I reckon that hype venue, that Castle Hill Youth Centre there, is mm. probably the reason when I turn sixty that I might be getting some uh, some little things in my ears. I reckon there was some a lot of time oh, spent mate. in that. A lot of time spent in that building, a lot of music listened to, and uh, I can't, I can't not go to a show now without earplugs in. Honestly, it's actually so much better, but because of you know, 
young and fun, I suppose. But that that hype center, yeah, that's some great memories there. Hanging hanging out there, seeing yeah. bands like the Valley and those ones. Like, oh <laughs> man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a bit of a Spotify check, see if they're if they're around. Oh, I, I think um, so so you've got you've had your school life, and you you've spoken about your music and and where that's taken you, which is so good. And I, I love the I love the journey, and I love hearing about that and, and the passion that that then brings i suppose my next question is where where was after school for you did you go into university did you go straight into uni what was the um yeah what was the, i suppose the career um projection that, that you took from that oh look it was an interesting one i think i i had i did that myers-briggs thing and it told me that i was going to be like it was it was something so off like whatever it was i think it told me you know did you ever do that myers briggs thing that, yeah, that did, career yeah. thing yeah it told me that i wanted it was either going to be a nurse or a janitor or something ridiculous and, and you know neither of those yeah. both respectable professions but i never saw myself in that sort of thing so i never really thought it got a gauge of what i wanted and i guess i was a bit confused so i sort of thought you know what i'm gonna do a business degree i've, I've been working in you know retail and sales pretty much since the start of year 11 and i thought it'd be an, an easy transition to move into marketing so i went straight into borkham hills tafe did a did a diploma of business marketing straight out of school because we won't mention the hsc results but that's why i went to tafe um rather than uni oh you know it doesn't matter now at all but you <laughs> know back, shocking as well <laughs> yeah, back then it did back then we did when my parents cracked it at me but anyway um yeah so uh you know it is what it is but no so i did that and then that got me into uni and then i did uni part-time all the way through till 2000 oh gosh and 12 i want to say um and then i um yeah finally graduated with uh, a degree in a bachelor's degree in uh, commerce majoring in marketing which uh led me to i guess my first corporate job which I hated. <laughs> I had a real, <laughs> a really rough boss, and I won't, I won't name the the company, but it, it, it. He was, he was a nice guy, but I just didn't like his style. And I guess the one thing that that job got me was the the step up to get into my my current job. And you know, I'm I'm working in you know digital and uh, offline advertising as well, and it's it's great. I love it. I love my job. I love the people I work with. Um, you know, recently got promoted to state manager and yeah, I'm flying. It's, it's interesting. I've actually only had four jobs in my whole life and this is, yeah, this is the fourth one. And if you don't count the promotions, it's the fourth company I've worked for and yeah, loving it in terms of professional sense, you know, life's, there's not too much stress in my role. There's a lot of reward in the hard work that you put in. So mm. Ah, love it. Loving my professional life at the moment. It's, just, it's been really good. It's so good, man. The thing I take from that is that, you know, no matter the HSC score or whatever, there's always an avenue. And I think that's yeah. something that I've learned a lot older. Like if you're willing to put your mind to it um, and if you're willing to, to work hard and to, you know, think of the options around, there's always a way that you can get to the place that you want to go, I believe. And, mm. you know, that perfect example, you know, having to go to TAFE, doing that and then bridging into university i you know i think you know my score for example wasn't what i needed to get into university but hey five years later i left with a master's degree so i was like well you know like there is a way to get around it mm, um sure. which is awesome i think that that's a really valuable lesson and like it's a really good story and i think i think people need to hear it as well i think yeah, mate, the big absolutely. thing for me yeah the big thing for me now is and it's something that we've 
we've spoken about um, a fair few times is obviously, you know, we've got, we've had such like highs um, in life and, you know, there, there's good things, but, um, you know, life does throw some challenges. And I know that when we, we chatted um, about coming onto the show that, you know, you were keen to, you know, explore, explore some of these because they are a major part of your life. And I think we wouldn't be doing Andrew Thomas's 31 years on this earth any justice if we didn't talk about some of this stuff. But I suppose, man, without um, prompting you too much, um, you know, what, what's been some of the, the, the biggest challenge, you know, in, in your life, um, you know, whether it's, you know, or whatever that is, sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, very nice of you to say that I'm 31, 32, mate. It's all right. I'll... Oh, 32. <laughs> yeah. I'm, trying to knock, I'm trying to knock some years off before my birthday in a month's time as well. Yeah, so. right. but, um, uh... yeah, yeah, no, all good. Um, look, first, I guess I want to say that we're very lucky to live in Australia. You know, obviously there are a million great places to live in the world. And I, I think I've always loved how well, like how great our lifestyle can be if we, you know, put in just, you know, the right amount of effort. And I, I guess for me, I've had a great, I had a great childhood. I had, you know, everything that I, I needed to be successful. I had the right support from family in every way. And I guess for me, so that's why I sort of, I sort of want to preface what I'm going to say by saying, my life has been great, but every life, every life that we, you know, that everyone leads, there's always challenges. And for me, the biggest one, and it actually took me until I met my wife, Victoria, to realize this, but I think what actually affected me the most was my parents getting divorced when I was 15. And it's, hmm. it's an interesting one, right? So, you know, you, you hear all these things about people saying like, you know, one in three marriages end in divorce and all that sort of stuff. But for me, I actually think that all of my really close mates, all of their parents are still together. And it was something that I sort of had to, I guess, learn on my own. And, and it's, it's not something you learn. And, and I want to just say too, that my parents are two of the most loving and supporting people in my life. And I love them both dearly in every aspect. But the reality was, is now that I'm older, I realized that one, they definitely didn't belong together and they're both 10 times happier now. But hmm. for me, hmm. I, I think it's, it's fine. You can laugh at it. It's, it's, they're, they're so much happier and it's, it's, it's yeah. good. I'm really happy for them. But when I look back on the relationships that I've had with, with partners, with, with girls over the years, none of them ever really felt, I never really felt invested. And I think subconsciously, potentially I was scared that I was going to offer up the same as that what they did. And, you know, you learn a lot about yourself when you meet the right person. And God, I, I think I just, you know, I'd had a lot of girls that I, I'd, you know, hung around with and, you know, spent time with in the lead up to when I met Vic. But honestly, when I met her, I just could not get over that she was into a, an idiot with a top knot who lived in a share house who, partied it was it was it was so it was so strange to me that someone was appealed and you know invested in all the random junk I was talking to her about and I think the lesson I learned is that from having such a wonderful relationship and then obviously ending up marrying her and you know we're about to start a family which I'm sure we'll get into later but I think mm. I didn't realize how much it affected me indirectly 
indirectly is probably not the right word, but it didn't, it affected me in a way that I didn't realize. And I didn't really trust myself or the people that I was with. And so that, that's, that's, that's a big thing to throw at you to, to continue to talk about. But I think it took me until this relationship to realize that I had just been treading water and I didn't let anyone in. So mm. for me, my yeah, biggest man. challenge was my relationships with, with girls. And I've overcome that in meeting the right girl, I think. So shows that That's I've awesome. grown a lot. Yeah, well, I, I think the growth in that is, is awesome. And again, just thank you so much for your, your vulnerability. And I think one more thing that I want to press into into that story because we're gonna we're gonna talk about the, the beautiful Victoria later. Don't worry about that. She sure. we can't not talk about her. Mm. Um, I suppose if you know hindsight's such a beautiful thing. Um, if if you were to, to look back and you know and you're 15, 16 years old trying to deal with with something that is way, way, way over your head and even way over ahead for a lot of people um, who just go through it, I think, in, in general. I suppose, is there one thing that if you could look back on and go, I, you know, if I could tell, um, you know, an, a future Andrew Thomas or, you know, a kid going through this process or, or, or something along those lines, would there be something you'd go, this this really helped me or, you know, what, what would you be looking to, I suppose, share with this with this person? It's interesting and you, you hear about, you like, you watch a movie and, you know, there's that whole cliche of the kid going, did I do something? No, no, you mm. didn't do anything, right? And that's the one thing that you've got, I, I would, t and, and I'd never really thought it was my fault, but I think what you've got to, un like, try to understand at whatever age it happens is you've got to understand, unfortunately, it's not about you. And to and for and for your parents too, if they if they split up or for any couple, it's it, you know it's about it's about them. It's 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 one of the it, you know I guess selfish is always a tough word to throw out, but it, when it comes to that sort of struggle, it's something that they needed to do. And like what I did said with my preface, they did net like they you know they were very supportive in my early years, but really from a romantic and. I guess love point of view they they were never really they i guess they they probably they probably were at one point but in the end they weren't and that's not up to me to choose them choose when they love so hmm. it's not their fault it's not my fault it's not their fault it's just life and that's the way they've got to look at it yeah i think that's a really good approach man some and some really good advice and yeah i think that's really good and talking Talking about your beautiful mother, and, and she really is, you know, she is an absolutely bubbly, lovely person um, who I've obviously had the, the pleasure of meeting and um, many a time and, and having a chat as, as we grew up. Um, mate, it, you know, there was, there was a big part in her life um, where, you know, she was obviously diagnosed um, with cancer. And again, it, it, this is a, a huge topic of conversation, so I'm, I'm really happy for you to, to lead this, but I suppose for someone who hasn't necessarily been through, um, in my immediate family, that, that type of, um, yeah, I suppose going through the process and the, and the, what's the next steps and, and everything, you know, just talk us through, uh, talk us through a little bit of, about that and, and how did that impact obviously you and, and your family and, um, obviously the end result, which, you know, we always, is, is a good one. So let's just leave that one there, but yeah, yeah let's, it's, let's, you know, how much that. that. Yeah, it's a really, really good uh, end result. But you know what? What's the steps there? What was? How did? How was Andrew Thomas reacting to that? 
Yeah, it's interesting, right? So we always knew, I think in the back, because look, mum got cancer. Look, she, I, I'm not sure about dates. Like I was a kid, like I was probably seven when she first had it. And, um, you know, she made it through then, but it was nowhere near as serious. She didn't have chemo that first time. It was, um, it was a single, she had one mastectomy, just a single. Yeah. And then she, um, just had radiotherapy and, you know, we were just kids and you're like, mum's sick. That was really it. Like my parents, I don't think my parents mm. sat me down and told me that mum had cancer until after the fact, we just knew that mum wasn't well. And I, I guess I understand that. Um, but the next time was in 2015 and that was a lot more serious. That was like, um, like, you know, in the one remaining breast that she had, it was, you know, it came on really strong and it was just like, you know, and obviously she'd been really diligent with everything since the first scare. And, you know, it was an interesting story when she told us, she called me on the phone and it was about 14 seconds before Dave Barker rocked up at my Kellyville house to go. And we were going to a gig, right? And I had to, she didn't want me to tell anyone. Uh, and basically she told, she told us on the phone and I could see Dave walking up the driveway and, you know, we were about to go and see the beautiful girls in the city. Um, that's a band, not a bunch of women. Um, in case anyone, <laughs> in case anyone's not sure, clarification's good. They're a great, a great group from the Northern Beaches. You should get into them if you don't know them. Um, and yeah, we went and saw saw them, and I had to put on a happy face for five hours or whatever it was, trying to pretend that everything was okay. And because it was such a, I guess, a shock. There's no real good way to deal with it other than to throw yourself into it and really sort of just accept the fact that, you know, she's about to have chemo, she's about to have surgery to have it all removed. And, you know, it, it affects you. It's, it's, it's a journey that you have to go on with them. You're not necessarily feeling the pain or the after effects from the treatment, but you've just got to be there. And unfortunately you've got to pretend that everything's okay because, you know, for a while there, we didn't think everything was okay. And, you know, we had, uh, a fundraiser morning tea where we raised money for the Jane McGrath Foundation um, at our house at um, Kellyville, um, which was really good. And we raised a, a bunch of money that day. The figure escapes me, but it was a very sort of generous thing that everyone did. And um, yeah, so and now she's through it. And, you know, she's had a couple of cleanup surgeries since then that I haven't really talked to people about because they're more just routine than anything else. But the unfortunate thing is that it, it could come back at any time and you've just got to prepare yourself for that. And, you know, another health scare that we've, we've been through and we're currently living through at the moment is with, um, is with Vic's dad. And, you know, he's had two major strokes in the last two years and he's more or less lost the, his, all of his physical ability and he's, you know, lost his, um, you know, the majority of his speech is gone as well, but, you know, you can still crack a hilarious joke paying out, you know, one of his siblings and he'll still absolutely crack up until the, the end of time. So he, he's a really, really, you know, strong guy. And I, I don't, so is my mum. And just seeing these two people in my life go through so much, like it really does make you realise that, you know, life's short. We just got to pick it up and run with it. There's no point sweating the small stuff because... 
the, the majority of people out there have probably got stuff that's more intense than what you've got going on. And, you know, if we can't have a laugh in the, the serious times and, you know, try to look forward and just enjoy what's ahead of us as opposed to focusing on the past, it can, it can really dwell on you. And I'm really getting better at that. And I think mm. trying to maintain positivity in the family is something that I had to learn how to do with mum and, now that we've got, you know, Bernie, who's who's not well and, you know, is still with us and is still laughing away. But, you know, there's sometimes people get low and, you know, sometimes I'll wake up in the middle of the night and Vic's just crying her eyes out because she's just woken up and she's had a dream about her dad or she's thought about her dad and, you know, she she misses him. Like he's there, but, you know, she can't have a conversation with him like she used to be able to and it's it's heartbreaking. But trying to stay positive in the worst of times will get you back to the best of times at some point. Yeah. I think that's really well put. Yeah, that's so true. And you know, there's, there's one thing about you and, I, and I'm going to pump your tires a little bit here because I've got, I've got two, two stories for this. One was when um, I told you about where I was going through some um, you know stuff in my life where, you know, I remember that night telling you and I remember how, broken you were for me uh in that time but then i remember the how much care that you had for me over over that time was remarkable but then the second time was talking about bernie and it was actually Vic's mum at the wedding you know sharing you know about how much that you had been helping and how much you had you know just really cared for their family at that point and i think you know, I think it's two things. I think one, it's the the experience that you've had in your life to be able to pick up things and and, and nearly in a sense, you know, provide a solution and and go and and do these things. But I think, you know, in in the end, I think you've 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 sort of touched on it well there. But it's like the essence of your heart is caring, and the things that you've learned is growing. And I think yeah, you've now got that ability that you've always always had. But that that beautiful sense of you know care and love. Um, for others, which, you know, it may have come from experience. It may, it may not have, but I think that's one thing that I would really align with you. And I know I've seen it um, come through a lot. And so I think, you know, those stories, I, I really wanted to share those stories because I think they're, they're twofold because A, that, um, yeah, we can see people and people can be there and these things do shape us, but it's how we sort of come out um, at the end is always really really key so again thank you for for sharing um and being transparent um with those stories man absolutely mate and yeah like you know and i appreciate what you said but you know and and when it you know it came to that night where you where you told us about your troubles you know i i i reflected back on the same way that i reflected back on what happened with my parents i thought i know mm. what he's going through and then the other guys that were there were 110 percent behind you as well but you know, they might not have had as much firsthand experience as I had. So, no, mate, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely appreciate it. But we're going we're gonna to switch up some gears here. Let's, let's, let's talk, talk about, about something fun. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about your beautiful wife, cool. uh, Victoria, because the story of how you met is a pretty good one. And uh, I, I may not have uh, told you that I was going to go here with this one because I wanted to hear it raw. But, mate, when was the first time you, you laid eyes on, on Victoria? It was in the hi-fi department of JB Hi-Fi. So if you don't know what hi-fi department of JB Hi-Fi is, hi-fi is anything that is uh, basically TVs, speakers, Blu-ray players, soundbars, 
anything that'll connect into your television or your home stereo, yeah, whenever you hear in JB Hi-Fi, can I get Andrew to Hi-Fi? That means they want me in TVs because some guy <laughs> wants to spend 5K on an LG. So again, I, I worked at JB for a long time and I worked at Dick Smith before that. So electronics retail, it's um, I guess it's a comfort zone because I was there for a long time. But no, Vic worked in uh, JB at Rouse Hill and so did I. I was originally hired at the Castle Towers store and then I um, transferred across to Rouse Hill because they needed a salesman. Um, and yeah, we met at JB and it was, uh, I, I added her on Facebook as you do, you know, easier, move. easier than move. asking for the phone number. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, you know, you can chat on messenger now. You don't need to worry about texting or anything. You can just talk to them on messenger anyway. So I added her on Facebook and didn't say much to her. It was really awkward and all that sort of stuff. And she was friends with uh, a lady named Tracy and Tracy worked uh, in phones in, in, um, in telco as they called it at JB and she would do phone contracts and her and Vic were quite close. And um, she told Vic that she, Vic told her that she thought I was, um, I was quite attractive. So like that story I told in my, in my vow, I was at my wedding. Um, she did scream, um, she did scream across, scream across the store saying, uh, Andrew, do you think Victoria's cute? And why don't you ask her on a date? Why do you wear those stupid shoes? Like she used to really put put a whole bunch of crap on me all the time. And, you know, I thought, anyway. So before uh, you knew it, we were eating sushi in the Rouse Hill, uh, in the freezing cold Rouse Hill um, uh, food court. Jeez, what a vibe. And then from from there, I know... I'll I'll skip ahead a, a little bit because I know you've you've moved houses you've you've done you've done the lot you've got um, two beautiful fur babies yeah what are their names actually we better better get them on the podcast oh, yeah, we love them yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah Murphy and Ruby two two cocker spaniels yeah wonderful little dogs um one of them was uh, that came with the package of Vic which was Murph and then we we got Ruby a few years ago so um. Yeah, I, I guess I was always a dog guy, but I, I never really realized how much of a dog guy until I got these two. So, no, they're, they're wonderful. Wonderful companions. Well, the best news was we um, you told us um, boys in our group that, yeah, I'm going to gonna propose to Vic, which was super exciting. And we were all pumped and you know, we all got the message. She said, yeah, so good. You know, mm-hmm. Absolutely stoked. Mm-hmm. Then planning a wedding. Now... Yeah. A wedding planning in COVID in Northern Beaches lockdown obviously brought uh, a lot of uh, extra drama with it, which was, you know, so horrible for you guys. And we were just absolutely devastated by that. But we're not going to talk about that because we want to talk about the actual wedding. Now, I the wedding was in Port Macquarie. Now, I'm going to tell a little pre-story about this. So my the Port Macquarie trip, it was unbelievable. So much fun. But the one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to surf at Crescent Head, which is about an hour past Port Macquarie. And Dymo, Mark Diamond, who was one of your groomsmen, uh, was coming with me. We'd set up a cracking playlist, done everything. We were, we were ready to go. You know, it was, it was good fun. We went up there. So we had four and a half, five hours in a drive. We're staying in the same place, same everything. And the secret that we'll get to eventually, he did not crack once, which was absolutely amazing i'm still kind of angry at him but i'm still like impressed 
to beyond everything that he, that he kept this amazing secret. I suppose for you, we'll get back to that story. What was that wedding day like for you? You know, finally getting there, finally doing it, um, the, the official version, uh, uh, sorry, the, the, the unofficial, official, unofficial, official version. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what was like that to have you, your friends and family around and, and to have that wedding day? Yeah, look, it was it was amazing to finally get there after all the COVID mess that we went through last year. Obviously, we booked our wedding in January 2020, and then three like what was it? Six weeks later, COVID just went bang, and then we're all of a sudden sitting there for months waiting. Is it going to happen? And anyway, we won't go into the details, but basically, it was postponed and it was back on in April 2021, and we had a great a great time. And then I guess from the the, the big the big secret that we held and in a way it worked out well because we got legally married in January on the day we'd planned to because we'd already got our rings engraved which was fun <laughs> um, so uh, and then we you know the, the one thing that was holding us back is we had some close family in um, in the northern part of the northern beaches which stopped them from being able to leave which is why we everyone else going to the wedding was uh, was able to go but we had that close family that wasn't so we were still able to go on our honeymoon so we still went up to byron we still did our thing we had a great time at this little bungalow um just out of mullumbimby which was fun went into brunswick heads every day like what, what a time and um you know fun story uh what led to the, the wedding day i guess the big the big secret was that vic was pregnant and we got pregnant we actually got pregnant so a nice loud laugh uh we got pregnant on the honeymoon you know we thought sort of just said yeah stuff it stuff it let's um let, let's let's give it a go like, you know we read online <laughs> or something that said oh the the average you know healthy couple takes three months to um to get pregnant we're like oh yeah three months is not too long and then bam three days later here we are um, and look, I don't want to sort of pump that up too much because I know there are a lot of people out there that do, that do sort of struggle in that space. So I don't want to make it too much of a focus, but we were very lucky to get pregnant as quickly as we did. And, um, so that was a big surprise. Funny story about the pregnancy. Actually, we, I don't know if I've told you this, the day we met Beth at the pub, have I told you about this? How we, no, when we went, no. yeah. So when we went to Newtown and we met, we all met Clayton's wonderful partner, Beth, for the first time. Um, we went to the pub, had lunch. It was all great. And Vic and I had obviously been trying to get pregnant in the couple of weeks before, but obviously, you know, she'd done a one or two pregnancy tests and it hadn't shown up with anything, which doesn't, as we found out later, doesn't always mean that you're, you're not pregnant. And she went, ah, oh, stuff it. I'm not pregnant. And she had a few beers that day. And then two days later, she did the pregnancy test. And she was pregnant. So anyway, so that was when, and then the first thing I, honestly, one of the first things I said after she told me that she was pregnant, I went, didn't you have beers when we went to the pub on Sunday? <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that, that I've gone on, I've, I've, I've given you a big pre-story, but anyway, timing all worked out and we worked out once we got the tests done and everything, we were confirmed to be pregnant and all that sort of stuff. We, went through all the screening and everything. And then we worked out what our due date was. And the end of your first trimester is 13 weeks. So we hit 13 weeks on the day before the wedding. We worked that out. We went, oh, wow, we're going to be able to tell everyone safely. And it's going to be the day before the wedding that we're able to start telling people. So we thought, oh, wow. That means we can actually find out the gender as well before that. So that means 
we can do a combo gender reveal party at the reception. And then that was like this whole thing, right? So we'd come up with that idea. It was the best idea ever. And um, so I ended up telling, I don't know if I told you this, but we, we told, we, Vic told her sister quite early, which was, which was, I'm glad she did so that she could have someone who'd, you know, had a couple of kids and was able to sort of talk her through it and help her with it. Um, but then I did tell, one of the sad stories about not, the wedding not going ahead in January was that uh, our good friend Dave was unfortunately not able to attend the new date. And it's, um, yeah, something that I, I still think about and get a little bit upset about. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is. He's still, you know, very much a part of our lives. But I told him, I told Louis and I told Dymo all before the ceremony or before the weekend. Cause I'm like, guess what? I don't want this to, I don't want this to, I need to be able to tell you guys this because I need, um, I need some support on the day because obviously every photographer is going to know the staff at the wedding is going to know. Everyone is going to know our families all know we need to, you know, make sure that we keep this a big secret right up until that moment at the very, like, you know, the last two hours or whatever it was of the reception. Um, and they were great. Dymo, Dymo actually got angry at me that I told Dave because I, I haven't, I don't actually think I've told Dave this, but, and I don't know, I'm going to out her anyway, because we were so stressed when we got this message, but I told Dave a couple of days before we were halfway up to Port Macquarie. Who do you reckon messaged me? Who do you uh, reckon Dave told? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm outing him on a podcast. I don't care. <laughs> Out him, go, go, yeah. say it. He told his mum, and so, like, Frances Barker, God love her, she is, you know, she's very very in with all of the secrets and all the, you know, all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, she knew. She sent us a message saying, congratulations on your little bundle of joy. David told me not to tell anyone. And I'm like, well, you told us, so that's your first mistake. <laughs> so, anyway, so Frances Barker knew as well. Uh... Um, too good yeah so that was fun um and then yeah what the uh the other big secret i guess was yeah the gender reveal and a lot of people actually came up to me and asked they thought that we actually knew and we were just we were just going along with it and um we didn't know that we were going to have a boy so we gave you can get like a test a pre-screening test um which tests for a bunch of different things and it also tells you the gender quite early like at 10 weeks so we, we gave the result, we got the results from the doctor. They said, everything's fine. And then we gave that test to Vic's sister and she organized the balloon. So the genuine surprise that you see in that wedding video um, was real. And it was, it was there. And I am shocked that da um, Dymo didn't tell Ange, Angela, his mom. But anyway, he didn't. And I'm, I'm proud of him for it. Well, it was amazing. Like, like I said, a four and a half hour drive with him. I spent literally... A lot of hours with him when he wasn't doing wedding stuff with you and not one thing and i'm gonna say from one of my from my perspective being at the wedding mm. it was one of the coolest things i've ever experienced being at a wedding like i think i i remember standing up and like hands in the air like yelling with with excitement because it was just it, it that's you just don't do that at weddings like yeah. you just don't do that like it was yeah. just so fun and you know i i had i had the pleasure of you know, being a part of your wedding and, and yeah, doing stuff like that. But then yeah. not knowing the surprise for me and the surprise for the room, yeah. it was unbelievable. And then obviously the surprise for you and Vic, seeing those photos, those photos are just absolutely classic. Like they are uh, just, just brilliant. And like, 
it really took that night then to another level because it was like a celebration of your marriage, but like celebration of what um, um, mm. is to come as well. I suppose that that leads to my next question is like, mate, you're going to be a dad in is it three weeks, four weeks? Like, yeah, how, gosh, it's how um, exciting yeah. is that? What's what oh, are you looking mate. forward to? Like. <laughs> It's been a different build-up, I tell you. We haven't had, you know, loved ones around us because um, Auntie Gladys didn't let us. Um, anyway, we won't we won't go there. But we're in we're in <laughs> we're in lockdown, and you know, it's been it's been tough. And it's from a support point of view, um, you know, we feel a little bit. I guess in a way, we, we've in the build-up, we felt a little bit lost, but we've done a few online courses and learning what to do and what to pack and all that sort of stuff. So we're, we're pretty ready, I think for the birth, but in terms of being a father, like, yeah, it still hasn't hit me. Hey, like I really mm. doesn't feel like my life is any different. It just feels like, yeah, it just, it's, it's, it's going to, everyone says that you don't really know what to do with your parent. And then when you, before you're a parent and then when you're there, this gear just, kicks in in your brain and and you've you've got to keep this little thing alive for for the rest of its life as well as teach it lessons and help it grow into it into a good person and support it in any way you can so we're stoked we're, we we can't wait um what i was actually i was saying to you pre-show i was going to throw something at you it'd be actually cool um in like a year's time for me to come back on and reflect yeah. on the first year of being a dad or something like that. I reckon um, that'd be booked in. That'd be fun. If in a year's yeah, time we're, we're, you're still rolling, we'll I think you will be. We'll we'll do it again and I'll I'll bring him on and get him to make a few gargling sounds for you. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, he might he might be singing the uh, the GWS theme song. Oh god. We can only hope. We can only hope you <laughs> Oh mate. Oh man, that's it's awesome, and you know, I I see I've got the obviously the the privilege of, of seeing you. I see your face light up with excitement. I know we've spoken numerous times. I know there's a lot of uh, uncles in our uh, friendship group that are pretty excited for you guys as well. And um, you know, it's even better without naming names. There's a few more babies on the way as well, which is just yeah. awesome. You know, Absolutely. like it's it's really yeah. it's a really fun stage of life um, yeah. that we're going through, and, and I can't cannot wait to see you know what happens but Tomo, we, we're gonna we're gonna finish up um yeah there's, there's one good. question that i have to ask you though um yeah. and it's at the request of uh some of our friends um what does the statement tomo's teams mean uh and can you can you can you elaborate on on what uh teams that you follow and, and why we call it tomo's teams yeah mate it's uh it's a sad it's a sad little town to live in um but as you know i'm a sports tragic <laughs> I was a I was a half decent rugby player, um, you know, in high school and out of school, and sort of gave that up. And you've seen me in the indoor cricket field, you know, I didn't have really any talent there either. So, <laughs> right arm rubbish, and you know, tried to block it for six. But, um, you know, I guess I let my passion for sport go in in following teams. And you know, you don't really necessarily like. I think the explanation as to why I picked a bunch of teams is really simple. I, you know, I picked the Parramatta Eels because they were the geographically closest team to um, to where I lived. And I started supporting rugby league in 1998 and they were really good then. And they, in mm. 2001, had one of the best seasons ever, but just happened to lose the grand final. And I go for the GWS Giants because 
there again, Western Sydney team, grew up in Western Sydney. I go for the Knicks because <laughs> I went to a Knicks game <laughs> in 2010. I, you know, I support Arsenal. To be honest, it's probably because of Diamond mostly because I was like, oh, yeah, I'll get into Premier League. Who, who supports Premier League? Diamond. Could have been closer to you back then and started supporting Man U and had a lot better. That would have been helpful. It would have been a lot more fun. <laughs> So I guess the, the, there's a million teams I could start listing that have been all pretty ordinary. And the, the ongoing joke is that I've never seen any of them win a trophy that's, that's worth anything. Arsenal have had a couple of FA Cups, but people forget those. So let's just leave it. Um, yeah, anyway. Oh, man. It's, it's, it is at your unfortunate pain that uh, when one of your teams plays and they happen to not go well, it, uh, it just comes up on my feed. If, even if I'm not having to watch sport and I just see oh. something come up being... Tomo's teams, I can make a pretty good guess that one of three or four teams is currently losing yeah. um, and that you're currently sitting at home absolutely filthy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. mate, um, we're all exactly the same in, in regards to that. And then with the NRL, who knows what's going to happen this weekend, mate. Um, you know, at the time of recording, we're just about to enter into the final series. I'm, I'm nervous for Manly and I know you might be pretty nervous for Parramatta as well. So we'll see what happens. Well, I, I, I looked at it. If you, I think if you win this weekend and we win our next two, like we, if, so I think it would most we've got to beat Newcastle. I think we would beat Souths. I reckon they, they there's apparently a way that you and I, the the Eels and the Seagulls, can play in the prelim. I don't want to oh. be anywhere near that. <laughs> I don't want to be anywhere near that game. We'll put oh. our friendship on hold for that night, and then oh. we'll just re- return. return oh. the well, wait. The last time we went to the footy together was a Brookie Oval, and Parramatta yeah. absolutely put a, the cleaners through us. Yeah, that, that was. So you know, we have those moments, and then when it counts, nothing happens. So, oh well. <laughs> One day, hopefully, before I kick the bucket, we'll get there. Oh dear. Well, well Tomo, it is it's been an absolute privilege, um, to say the least. I, I've loved hearing um your reflections of your early life. I've loved um, you know, albeit through the, the tough points in in time, but the reflections and the positivity that you can take from it to, to learn lessons, you know, such as, you know, life is short and you know, those things. You know, I think that's what really comes through to me hearing it now and I really hope that comes through um to the listeners as well. But mate it's been a pleasure, a privilege. Um, so stoked to, to have you on. And, mate, thank you so much for your time and, and coming on High People Podcast, mate. It's been lots of fun. Yeah, mate, absolutely. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. And it's been, it's been fun to reflect. And, yeah. Cheers, mate.